Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Blusterini in the home game. And if you want to find out about me and the other members of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew and uh, take your pick of some of these amazing panelists that are even joining me tonight. So, uh, panelists, why don't you share a little info with uh, the rest of Rec Poker Nation? I'm John Somsky and Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Fergie 56 on our home game, but I'm pet fed everywhere else. I'm Rob Washam and I'm Rabman 50 just about everywhere. Daddy. And I'm Taylor Moss, uh, <laughs> Gopher Boy TJM in the home game, and you catch me on Twitch on Thursday nights. I just thought I heard your name was Daddy. That sounded like. <laughs> is this, is it like photo bombing? What is it called? Podcast bombing? Yeah, exactly. Podcast yeah, bombing. <laughs> and you are muted, Jim, so we are not hearing a word you are saying. Oh my God, I saw him skewed myself. Okay, there you we did? go. Good call. Good call. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Whoo! All right, that could have been messy. So, <laughs> so uh, that's not the only thing that's going on, though, of course. Um, and I've even just been reminded that we are going to be duking it out like we do every week in the rec poker home game, trying to steal each other's play money chips as we reach for the stars and the stars in this case mean the rec poker bronze pin right there. Um, and one of the other things we do every week is we thank our sponsors, Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. But there's a third thing we do every week, and that's talking about the forums at rec.poker. So this week we are looking at a forum post that I actually just <laughs> that I actually just closed the window for and <laughs> on my other screen. But here we go. Flop types K72 Rainbow. This is by ARW, one of my favorite forum posters. And I'll just introduce the post and we can talk about what's uh, what the available actions are and how we might discuss it. So in this hand, the villain opens two big blinds from early position, and our hero calls from the big blind with ace three off. Effective stack is 30 big blinds. The flop comes king seven two rainbow. We check and the villain C bets two into a four big blind pot. So ARW decides to check raise to eight and villain calls. And the question that ARW asks is, why did I check raise this flop? <laughs> um, this flop is really hard to nail. I doubt that any two pair combos like king seven, uh, king two or seven two exist in the opening range, which is a great point from early position. We shouldn't expect to see a lot of those hands. The set combos, kings, sevens and twos represent three combos each for nine total. And the rest are one pair hands like ace king, king queen, king jack, etc. cetera. Um, ace seven, they're all possible. On the flop, we can break this down to having 12 combos each for 84 combos. When I check raise, most of these hands will probably call. The villain will likely fold most pocket pairs and most ace highs. Uh, I think that's debatable, but I think they probably will fold most pocket pairs to a check raise. I think that's true. Um, ARW says, in hindsight, I really hate my check raise. One, my hand is trash on this board. Two, when called, they always have it, and I've invested 10 big blinds um, with streets to come, and you've got 20 back with a pot size bet, basically, and my hand is still likely trash. 
three, when they fold, I win a small pot of six big blinds. And four, uh, floating out of position is a bad idea also. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, I agree with you, ARW. There's, it's, it's kind of just not a great spot, period. Um, and, but, I, but I like what he's thinking about here, which is that this is the kind of board where my opponent is just going to have fewer value hands, the two pair hands that they're not going to have. You know, I think that does, you know, present an interesting way of thinking about the hand. Um, do you folks, do you have like a, a texture or something in mind when you're considering check raising? Is there something that you're looking for that, that this board has or doesn't have? Yeah, what, what's troubling about this hand, like he identifies that uh, the early position opener doesn't have too many like high value hands. The problem is he doesn't also have a ton of high value hands either. Uh, this flop is so like disjointed that it makes it really tough uh, there's no straight draws, there's no flush draws, which then makes it really easy to identify the good hands, which are sets and two pairs. And with it being this disconnected, it's tough to have some of those. So it actually makes it a little bit easier for the early position opener to call with pocket pair type of hands uh, when they get check raised, just because uh, there's so little value part of the check raising part that it kind of just seems weird that the big blind would choose this route. So uh, your other question in terms of like, what are you looking for when you're going for that check raise? And it, it's really more connectedness, more, uh, more connectedness away from what like an early position range would be. So like, I think the classic is something like a, you know, a seven, eight, nine or nine, nine, 10 Jack type of thing. Uh, that's a huge area for like the big blind to go after. Um, also flops that have potentials for flush draws or uh, open-ended straight draws. Uh, those really help the big blinds range and not so much the early positions range. So uh, those are the types of thing I'm looking for. And then especially with a hand like ace three off, there's just not much equity there. Everything is backdoor and it's the only like backdoor in weird ways to like your ace isn't always good. Uh, your three is definitely not necessarily good. And then the only way you know that you're good is if it comes off as a four or five for the wheel. Uh, it's just really tough to turn that hand into the, the time that you want to go for the check raise, in my opinion. Yeah, we talk about sort of different factors and what we might be considering. You know, I always think about, there, there, I, I'm usually thinking about board texture when I'm deciding if I'm going to check raise or not. Um, for the most part, it's something that, uh, oh, actually I see we have a comment from Kim here. Yeah, please jump in. Kim, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I've learned recently. Yeah. Can I, can you hear me? Yeah. might have a little lag, but go ahead. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. I'm at the cottage. So recently I've learned that the two characteristics of a big blind board are all cards eight and below, and the big blind has the most two pair offsuit combos on the board. So a board like eight, six, five, they could have most of the two pair offsuit combos. So when we're looking for a board that we wanna attack and maybe check raise, that's one of the things to look for. Nice. It's yeah, the Rob. kind of board too that the uh, 
opener probably isn't going to be very interested in seabending with either. At least I wouldn't be, you know? So the, yeah, the opportunity for him to make a check raise at least against me would be slim to none because I'm probably going to check that one back. Yeah. And when we talk about uh, board textures, um, there's kind of two different ways to be thinking about how we want to be calibrating our check raises versus our check calls versus our check folds. Um, and I think, you know, texture is, is a big part of that. And th the other half of that coin is range. And um, when you're looking at the texture, you have to kind of decide, okay, am I going to make my decision based on how my actual hand interacts with this texture? Or am I going to make a decision based on how my range interacts with this texture? Or am I going to make a decision about how my opponent uh, may respond to check raises if I have a tell about them? Because um, those are all factors that might influence when we, when we choose to make the check raise here. Why don't we uh, hear a little from our friend Jonathan Little and then come back and talk just a little more about this. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at pokercoaching.com slash recpoker right now. Oh yeah, I saw him skewed myself into muting there again. But yeah, uh, I don't want to see anyone sweating or stressing. Uh, the answers are right in front of you. Go check out what Jonathan Little is telling you all about. Um, so yes, we were talking about different factors to consider when we are check raising. And HUD nerds like me um, will quickly kind of fixate on opponent tendencies. So when I'm playing against someone, if I have any set of hands on them, they'll have faced a number of check raises already and we'll get a sense of, do they continue to check raises at an appropriate frequency or not? And if they do or don't, then that'll be one big factor. I would never value check raise a player who folds to check raises too much. Um, that would be a player that I would choose to bluff check raise instead. I know it sounds real obvious, but um, that's kind of a hard thing to, to pay attention to live because it doesn't come up that often. But if you're an online player with a HUD, it'll become pretty clear. Well, I guess that's one question. Um, you folks, uh, you play more live. Uh, is there a way that you kind of begin to internalize that information? Or do you, is that something that you're thinking about when it comes to particular exploits, uh, or is it more just about playing against the player pool? Because I know it's hard to get a kind of like a high volume of uh, of stats on players live when it comes to spots like that. Yeah, I think it's probably if you have to pick one or the other. Like, am I going to try and like pick on a certain player, or am I going to try and pick on a certain board? It's probably best practice to just go after the different board textures. Um, if you can combine them together, then you obviously get a little bit better, but uh, sometimes it's just so tough to actually get a good representation of hands to know how my, is my opponent going to ha handle uh, a check raise. 
and I think if, if we're talking live, I feel like live, uh, and maybe I'm over generalizing this, but I feel like if you're playing live and you check raise someone, it, there's a very high likelihood they're going to call your check raise and then fold on the very next street. Uh, I just feel like that's a, a very live play type of thing to do to be like, uh, I'm not going to give up to just a single check raise and then a nothing card comes on the turn and they go, okay, well, I can't keep trying to, uh, you know, float continuous streets to see if I can get there versus you. So now I'm going to end up folding. So I feel like that's more generally what happens in live and then online, uh, you get a wide mix of people that will fold the check raises. Uh, call and then fold or call and just try and stick the hand out. So um, that's just kind of how I view it. Yeah, and I like the idea that we should sort of have a plan too, right? Because I think that's true that a lot of check raises are not one and done um, plays and that player is going to have to continue to play out of position for the rest of the hand. So, um, you know, when people are in position on the flip side of this, thinking about calling check raises, that is something that you got to think about. Like, what are the runouts that are being good for you? Uh, versus good for your opponent and um, is this a spot you want to invest in further because if you know you're going to fold to another bet like Taylor says you're probably better off just folding to the check raise and if you're going to say oh well you know I'm not uh, defending at a high enough frequency and I can be exploited by people check raising me too aggressively my guess is that you're not playing in a game where that's going to be a problem um, but if you are you know good on you moderate your c uh, betting range accordingly and uh, think about how you're going to respond to those check raising players in advance, and you'll be forearmed and forearmed, forewarned and forearmed. <laughs> this is harder when you're playing in the home game. You guys are right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Rob. Well, I was I was just thinking, what if if you were in this game and you see bet on a on a uh, flop of king seven deuce, and somebody check raised you. What would be your first thought? First of all, a couple of things come to my mind. They don't have a straight or a flush draw. Mm -hmm. So if it, how it's not a semi bluff, it can't be a semi bluff. So it's either total air or the guy's got King seven suited, right? Something like that. So it's, it's an interesting thing. So what is the person um, who made the C-bet, what's he calling with? You know, what hand or what range of hands is he calling with on that kind of board when he's check-raised? Yeah, I know just a thought. Yeah. I myself typically check-raise when I either have a big hand or a big draw. And, and I try to balance those two fairly well so that people don't know which one I have. I don't know whether I achieve that, but that's that would be the goal. So this would never be a board that I'd be looking to check raise on because it's impossible to balance your draws with it. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that's right, but that's just where my brain is at. And that's one point I really wanted to get at. And, and Rob and John, you've just kind of teased it out perfectly. Um, we talk about how, you know, we're looking at various textured boards and how some are going to be better or worse uh, for like natural check raises, like these draws. And I think that's exactly correct that there is a, it's an easy way to balance your check raising range to just do it with like sets and strong draws, for instance, 
Um, I mean, arguably that's actually still a pretty strong range and people should be folding to that. <laughs> so you should really throw some actual air balls in there, but um, that is the general idea. So on boards like this, when there aren't any natural draws, you really have to decide, okay, it's up to me now. Am I going to uh, check raise at a lower frequency or am I going to find non-natural candidates and include them in a check raising range because I think that my opponent is over c-betting and they're going to overfold to check raises. And if that's true uh, and you're out of natural candidates, there's no flush draws, there's no straight draws, you're just gonna have to find other hands to check raise with um, or check raise at a lower frequency. So the only other thing we could talk about there a little would be, you know, what would be the factors that you'd choose in those hands. Um, and this is like a frequency play, basically what we're saying it has nothing to do with your actual hand strength. So blockers would be the only thing to choose in that case, hands that are going to block your opponent having the best possible hands that they could have, which is kind of hard to do even in this case. But, um, you know, hands with a queen block hands with a king, <laughs> you know, hands with an ace block hands with a king. Um, so in, from that point of view, you know, it's never going to be a terrible check raising candidate, but uh, I think, I think the one key is that you can probably just find a better spot um, where, where you can get some pickups some equity on a future street. Yeah. And I think we have hands that unblock the hands we want our opponent to have, like having this ACE is actually pretty bad. Cause when we go for this play, I believe the thing that we're trying to target is ACE high continuation bets. Uh, so when we have the ace, it's more likely that they have a pocket pair or a king high type of hand, which the king high now has top pair uh, and it's going to work out a little bit less frequently. So I think this hand and the combo we have specifically kind of works against that uh, train of thought. Kim, did you have a point there? Yeah, this, this particular hand might be better as a check raise on a, a flop that had like a four and a deuce or a four mm. and a five. Mm -hmm. and something else and maybe a backdoor yeah. draw or something like that to the ace something like that there's like a lot more flops where you can this kind of hand would be a, a check raise um i just want to make a note that one of the the fourth thing thing you said was floating out of position is a bad idea also and i have to strongly disagree with that statement i think if we don't float out of position then we're not reaching minimum defense frequency often enough so do you mean calling as opposed to check raising here you mean just check calling he's got float floating out of position is a bad idea yeah so i'm not sure whether he was talking about whether he should just call there instead or i think like that's he wasn't what... floating he was check raising but yeah i think the alternative i think he's uh saying that it's Check raising is bad and check calling also is bad. <laughs> I think if that's what he means as a float um, in this situation, because right. yeah, because you're, because you're definitely not calling with the correct odds. And so I think that is what we talk about. Like floating is sort of like calling with not the odds, but with a plan. And I agree. That's kind of a hard, a hard spot to do. Um, so then is this a, just a check fold, uh, everyone? Is there, given, given the hand, is this just a simple check fold and it's kind of uncontroversial? Would anyone consider like leading here? Or, I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, I think it's just a, one of those spots where you're out of position, you don't have a great hand, your opponent's betting. That's kind of one of the things that makes poker work, 
you know, the players in position betting with a stronger range, you should probably fold. Yep. Don't have to win every single pot that we play. Uh, but we want to win every oh, single pot, Taylor. We on. want to win every pot. <laughs> <laughs> how are how are we going to prove to our friends how cool and strong we are if we don't win every pot? I just want to win all of the big ones. <laughs> I just want to win all the ones where I have the smaller stack. That's all I really care about. All right, gang. Well, any final thoughts on check raises or dry boards or um, opponents' frequencies or anything like that? My my thought would just be that these are. You just got to pick the boards where you're going to check raise and you have to uh, sort of understand where a board hits the, your range better than the pre-flop raisers range. So studying board textures is excellent. <laughs> there you go. Can't argue with that. All right. Well, with no further ado, then I'd like to thank, uh, Kim, Rob, Taylor, and John for joining me. Stewie in the chat. Of course, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. And Website Amp. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.